If society collapsed today and you survived the initial period when the world began to recover, would you have a skill that would be in demand? A skill that would help you to make a living as society recovers? We'll talk about that when we come back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. We're glad that you're here with us today. In the past, we've always taken the position of focusing on events that are likely to happen. Well, I mean, we are practical preppers. That's what we say, and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And we really do push the practical aspects. And we haven't focused much on a total grid-down event. I'm just beginning to wonder now with current events, would we be seeing more of a possibility of a total grid-down event? Well, when you're talking about a possibility with some of the things that are going on in the world today and in the universe today, there is a higher likelihood now of a life-altering event than there was, say, a few years ago. Wow, that's pretty serious. For example, we were talking with a man at the Hamfest in Columbus, Mississippi, and he was talking about a major major CME within the last couple of weeks, but it went out the other direction. It went out the backside of the sun. Yes, he was explaining to us that he follows sun weather, Mm -hmm. and I had never thought about that term before, but him being a pilot, he is very interested in any kind of atmospheric or solar event that would take place. And when he described the CME, the coronal mass ejection, that actually pitched out from the back of the sun, he said, had that event been on the front side of the sun and heading toward us, he said it would have been a life-ending event. I mean, we were just kind of stunned-faced listening to him. And I've done a little bit more research on that, and it does appear that that was an actual event within the last couple of weeks. Wow. And we don't even know about it. No, and we were only 180 degrees from devastation. How about that? Wow. Not only this, but we've got rogue nations and leaders around the world today that seem to be a little bit off their rocker. Well, you know, the the nations of the world historically have pushed each other to the brink and then backed off and pushed each other to the brink and then backed back down. But it's a really odd chess game going on here because we're right there in it with all these other mm-hmm. nations. I mean, we can't say that we're not pushing nations to the brink because America has done some pushing and prodding as well. Well, this give and take over the years, that that's normal, and mm-hmm. we're kind of accustomed to that. But what if one of these rogue folks goes over the line? Well, like some of these smaller nations that are now bragging about their nuclear capability. Mm-hmm. I mean, why are they bragging about that? Are they asking us for more you know, oversight? Are they asking to be viewed more closely? Because I know America is viewing them more closely. Well, one of the things we know is that the possibility has and is growing that something catastrophic could happen. And I'm talking society-altering event. I think that we don't like to talk about or think about these types of situations, but we would be remiss if we never thought or talked about them. 
Yeah, so from time to time, we're going to delve a little bit more into some possible post-apocalyptic events. Now, we're not peddling fear. Well, we're not trying to do that. Be very, very clear about that. We're not on this podcast now trying to scare the living daylights out of you. And we're not saying it's going to happen. We absolutely hope that it never happens. But what we want to do is raise the question, what if? Right. Sometimes you have to ask that. What would I do if? A couple of announcements. We were in Mississippi at the Columbus Ham Fest. The first annual at the American Legion. Now, here's what we did. Of course, we knew there was some serious weather alerts that were going to be going out in that region on Friday. So we're traveling from North Alabama over there to Middle Mississippi. And we got into Mississippi Friday night literally just moments before the local TV station there, which I believe was WTVA, I believe it was, we had turned on the local news. We were just unpacking our car as the rain was beginning to fall, and we needed to see what sort of weather events were going on. So evidently, by the time we clicked on that local television station, they had already gone into tornado warning, what they call wall-to-wall local television coverage. And their meteorologist, and I understand his first name is Matt. I did not remember his last name. But this young man was on wall-to-wall coverage. And the more we watched this storm as it was moving from the southwest and it was taking a very northeasterly diagonal track, as these kinds of storms usually do, he did something that we knew was pretty alarming and that was he and he said touched his ear and he said i've just gotten word from the national weather service that we have an event on the ground we have a funnel on the ground he said they are now calling for a tornado emergency and that's one step above a tornado warning you know we were in storm spotting class mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago and it was very adamant that the young lady from the national weather service shelly amen she said that when you see the word tornado emergency flashed up on the screen or coming across your weather radio, that is no longer the possibility of a tornado. That means the tornado's on the ground and it's coming. And it's not even radar detected. It's confirmed on the ground. And I'll tell you, from the looks of this storm, this thing was a beast. Yes, the debris ball. You can see the debris ball on dual pole radar. And it was to an elevation of 20,000 feet. So I understand that the lower the debris ball, the lesser strength of the tornado. Correct. So we're getting into the tens of thousands of feet up. It's a strong storm that requires a lot of lift to lift that debris that high. Oh, my word. Because you're talking about limbs, parts of trees, parts of houses. Yes. Yeah, anything that can be lifted, picked up. Anything that Mm -hmm. can be blown away. And we watched as that storm went through Amory, Mississippi. It was just north of us. We got rain, but we didn't get any wind damage. Yes, and there were 23 people at the last count that I had that have been killed this weekend in the state of Mississippi. And our hearts go out to them, and they will continue to be in our prayers and we would appreciate it if you would also pray for those folks in Mississippi, and the families that lost loved ones. Absolutely. And it does look like a war zone looking at the photographs that are coming out of there. We'll come back after this brief mention of our sponsors. For Patriot, our go-to source for emergency long-term survival food and great gear, 
Use the discount code PREPPER linked on our website. Pro One Gravity Water Filters for crystal clear, clean water every day and especially if the stuff hits the fan. Aura, digital safety on the internet for the whole family. Aura provides a VPN so you aren't tracked, as well as providing protection from identity theft, and they'll notify you immediately if someone tries. ProLine Digital Group, your custom, reliable, innovative solution for apps, websites, hosting, and digital leads. Clean Start, our favorite non-alcohol antiseptic and hand sanitizer. And you too can support the podcast by buying us a cup of coffee. We would greatly appreciate it. And just remember, 10% of all revenues coming into the podcast are donated to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital to help eradicate childhood cancer. We appreciate all of our sponsors, and all of them are linked from our website, www.practicalprepping.info. Have you ever really thought about what society might look like after a total collapse? Well, you know, you see it depicted in the movies, because the best we can actually come up with is an imagination. And I venture the guess that that might be 1% reality. The other 99% is the clear unknown. We really don't know what that would look like. No, but it'll probably be total chaos for the first few weeks, if not months. I guarantee it. That also probably depends on the event. It does, because if it takes out every form of electronic communication, you know, we're back to the early 1800s at this point. That's true. You'd have to handwrite a letter and get on a horse and ride or stick it on a pigeon's foot, send it off. I mean, we're talking about very old, unindustrialized methods. And one of the things that would happen is food would quit being delivered. Mm-hmm. If you've got no computers to track all of that inventory, they don't do it on paper. There'd anymore. be a quick run on the grocery stores. You know, yeah. people would be going in there and it would be total chaos. It, in it there. would be total chaos. And it would be total chaos for a while. But society will eventually begin to reestablish itself after a major societal collapse. Well, it does, because at some point, human beings don't strive to be, you know, at war and hand to hand combat every day. There would have to be some kind of a shakeout of there needs to be leadership and there needs to be followship. And that would probably depend on your community, your society. Are you rural? Are you urban? How many people are we talking about around you? So many variables, you couldn't even really fathom it. One thing that we can pretty well figure out is that money as we know it now becomes useless. You know, the current currency. I mean, what what are, what good are dollars and pennies going to do now? You yeah. know, if you can't bank... Uh, two pennies will be worth more than a dollar because they have copper in them. <laughs> exactly. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how quickly modern currency is completely useless. You know, you might as well light your cigar with it. Mm-hmm. And commerce would become a barter system. And one-on-one initially, mm-hmm. bartering with your neighbor, with your friend, with somebody else in town. And then eventually it would become a multi-party barter system. Right, exactly. To where I want something that you have, but you don't need anything that I have, but you have you have a need for something that Joe has. 
So I work out something with Joe to get what you need so that I can trade with you. Yeah. You know, that kind of reminds me of the barter system that emerged in the book that William Fortune wrote one year after. And what happened in that group of society, these people kind of banded together to create a peaceful society and to work this kind of thing out. And they found that what was tradable would be junk silver, or in some cases, some of them had been hoarding and stockpiling some gold. They had a lot Mm -hmm. of investment in gold. Uh, 22 cartridges ammunition was a very, very high value item. And also skills, which is what we're talking about tonight. Your actual skills. What do you know how to do that will be of any value in a societal collapse and rebuilding situation? Mm -hmm. We don't know what that next barter currency could become. We don't. Those are good ideas. We know that skills will be right in there. Now, toilet paper could have been a possibility after COVID. Well, you know, I think a lot of people did get on Facebook and they're like, I, I've, you know, I've got a pack of 12 I'm willing to, you know, auction. Auction off. Or, and I think they were sort of tongue in cheek, but in, in some respects, they may have been quite serious. Now, one of the things we would encourage you not to barter your food and water supplies normally. You have to keep those for yourself and your family. But hunger and thirst can create desperation, and don't let that be you. Yeah, some preppers have gotten onto forums and they've talked about, well, I would, you know, I'm stockpiling 50-pound bags of rice. I'm stockpiling 50-pound bags of beans. I'm stockpiling 500 gallons of water. And they go through this food and water list thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to trade my rice and my beans and my water or what have you, or my buckets of survival food, and I'll be able to subsist. And what happens is, please be aware, every one of us needs nutrition and hydration. Mm -hmm. Every one of us, whether we're a good guy or a bad guy. Now, the good guys are going to feel compelled to share with their family and friends and neighbors that have need. But when the bad guys find out that you have food and water and they need it, too, they're going to want to take everything you have. It could be a whole different situation. If you buy a 50-pound bag of rice, there's nothing wrong with putting some one-pound bags aside for trading. But be real careful with trading your food or your water supplies. Well, I'm just I hear what you're saying, but I would tell you out there if you're already starting to do the what if thinking that the food and water just needn't be on the barter trade list because that is a slippery slope and it never turns out good. Point made. Now, we do know that there will be demand for people with trade skills. And we're not talking about philosophers or art history or gender studies or professional politicians. Well, at least initially. No. Now, no offense. Seriously, hear me now. No offense to those folks who excel in those particular fields, philosophy, art history, gender studies, or political science. But they're not going to be in great demand after a societal collapse. Well, the fields they need to excel in are the ones where you plant and harvest. Yes. That's where you're going to find out that that's going to rise to the forefront of necessary manual labor tasks. You know, our grandmas used to stand on the porch and they'd holler at us kids and they'd say, go shuck the corn. And that was their broad statement of go find a worthy task and get busy at it. And in some respects, it really did mean 
shucking the corn. <laughs> yes. And so what that means, you can't be sitting around philosophizing or supervising all the time. You've got to get your hands dirty and you've got to do some planting and some harvesting. You've got to learn some planting and harvesting skills if you're trying to rebuild society. It's depicted even in the movies that, yes, it takes time. It takes time to plant a garden and wait for it to grow. But mankind has been there before. And if we have to, we can do it again. Well, we've actually been there longer than we've been here. That's true. When you look at the whole history of modern man, agricultural man, hunting, gathering man, up until today, our industrial lifestyle is a small, small sliver on that graph. Well before that, it was, you know, scratch and crawl. And it's less than 100 years that we've been able to go to the grocery store and buy all of our food. Exactly. You could go to the store and buy supplies that you needed and things that you couldn't produce, like salt, sugar, Mm -hmm. things like that. But the rest of it, you grew it. You know, even the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And I think we understand what that means is that you've got to put your shoulder to the grindstone and you've got to produce some work in order for food to be something you can have. Remember, you're talking about a world that is rebuilding after collapse. And if you're in a community now that is lacking all that modern industrial plumbing, the electrical system, a wireless Internet connectivity, if all of those things are gone, the skills and the willingness to learn and use them is going to be your key to not only surviving, but thriving. Let's take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back and talk about the skills that are likely to be in demand in a post-apocalyptic recovery. But these are also skills that we could use today. Absolutely. A food shortage could be coming. Even in the United States, economic experts wrote at the end of the summer crop season. Farmers sense it, too. John Boyd, Jr., a fourth-generation farmer, told Fox News that, quote, We're going to see empty food shelves in the coming months, end of quote. That's why survival food is more important than ever. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling Four Patriots Survival Food Kits. It's not ordinary food. We're talking good-for-25-years super survival food, hand-packed right in a family-owned facility in the USA and giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, and they stack easily. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. You can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. Just add boiling water, simmer, and serve. And right now, you can go to fourpatriots.com and use code PREPPER to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You'll get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order, plus free shipping on orders over $97. They're called For Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support veterans and their families. Just go to fourpatriots.com and use code PREPPER to get 10% off. That's fourpatriots.com. Use the discount code PREPPER and start building your own food stockpile today. Preppers are always concerned about having clean water available. A Pro One Gravity water filter solved that issue for us once and for all. We can store only so much clean water for us and our cats. 
For the two of us and the cats, that would be around 65 gallons just for drinking for one month. What about washing dishes and cooking foods that require water for preparation? If we find ourselves in an SHTF situation without clean water, we can use creek water or river water, which is plentiful within a short distance of our house. Just pour it in the top, then crystal clear clean water comes out the bottom. Problem solved. If you're concerned about water, check out Pro One Gravity Water Filters. There's a link on our website, practicalprepping.info. Now here's a prepper item for you that serves two purposes. It's a 40X concentrate, so it stores easily and takes up little space. It's Clean Start non-alcohol based hand sanitizer and antiseptic. That's right, a hand sanitizer and antiseptic. It doesn't dry out your skin like alcohol-based hand sanitizer. In fact, it has moisturizers which leave your skin feeling great, and it smells good too. Being non-alcohol-based, it doesn't burn when you put it on cuts and scrapes. The grandsons think that's the best part, but the best part is that it kills germs and keeps killing for up to three hours. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers stop killing germs as soon as it dries. Clean Start is patent pending as being the only hand sanitizer in the world that can stop an accidental overdose from illicit drugs like fentanyl for first responders like police officers, firefighters, EMS workers, and emergency room staff. Non-alcohol formula that acts like soap to wash away chemicals while leaving pores of the skin closed so that chemicals don't have a chance to enter the bloodstream. And here's a prepper bonus. Not on the FDA registration, I found this one on my own, and that is that I can clean my glasses. Put a touch on each side of the lens, wipe it with a soft cloth, it cleans and doesn't leave streaks. Clean start. There's a 25% discount on our website. Let's talk about some long-term SHTF recovery skills. Well, they could be long-term, and they could also be short-term. They could just be term. <laughs> term recovery skills. <laughs> some of these are good for short term and some of them are very good for long term. Mm-hmm. Now, one that a lot of people mention, and this would be distilling alcohol. It shows up on every prepper forum and every prepper list somewhere. I mean, I know some of you listening may be opposed to the imbibing of alcohol. You may be opposed, and that's that's your choice. Well, there's other uses for it as well. I mean, well, human consumption is one use, but think about this. You know, ethanol is a form of distillation that mm-hmm. comes from grain, and that's been used for fuel. Think about an alcohol stove. Think oh, about yes. an alcohol engine, that sort of thing. So you guys back up there in the mountains, in the hills, and the hollers, and you've got that steel up there. <laughs> yeah, we know it's there. Mm-hmm. Got a little some of that, that apple pie moonshine. That might be a very, very good <laughs> skill after the collapse as we begin to recover. How about fabrication? How or, about welding? Well, that's going to say when you say fabrication, you're talking about like metal work, building metal things. Okay. How about building alcohol stoves? I know that welding is done with modern tools, but did they have a form of primitive welding? You had blacksmithing. Oh, okay, that that works. You had yeah. blacksmithing, and they could build out of metal, mm-hmm. and they could things. kind of hammer hot metal together to kind yes. of form a bit of a weld. Yes, but in in this case, you'd be. Light welding, if you're doing alcohol stoves or if you're fabricating tools. Okay, yeah. 
those are good skills to have making biofuel yeah well that goes back to the distillation process but if it does serve a purpose to power up some sort of a simple engine or something like that that can be run on biofuel um, all the better i mean now we're talking about reestablishing some form of industry yeah and car mechanics now a lot of folks say well the cars aren't going to be any good anyway well, that depends maybe, on the event. Maybe not. Yeah. If you've had a major CME, EMP, and all the other letters of the alphabet, yeah, you're it probably might, screwed it on the car. It might not. But, but there are differing opinions among the experts. A lot of them say that we'll have some electrical issues with them, and certainly the efficiency would drop. Mm-hmm. But all of those old cars out of the 70s, 60s, 50s, yes. 40s, Model A Fords, all of those would not be affected, and you'll see those coming back out onto the road Mm -hmm. if we're into that type of situation. So they could convert them over to alcohol fuel use or biofuel, or, you know, what do you have a word here that I love? Gasification. Yes, gasification. And it's a way, and we actually had a teenager in the ham radio group in St. Clair County that he and his buddy built a gasified engine. Interesting. And what you're doing is you're almost distilling wood. I don't know the exact (laughs) process, but what they were doing is they built a unit to cook this off and take the gases coming from that, and they ran a small engine with it. That's very interesting. Now, it's going to take people smarter than I am. It's going to take folks with some engineering skills and knowing the process to do it, but that would probably be a very good skill to have. Well, you know, it's like you said before, we're talking about skills that you could perfect even in this day and age when there's not a societal collapse. You know, I'd be really interested if our listeners kind of grabbed onto this gasification Mm -hmm. idea, because that would be a really cool project to work on for a science project. I think that would be awesome. And for a guy that likes to, or lady, or girl. that likes to work with their hands, it would be a really interesting project to do. That's cool. Gasification. Here's another one. Carpentry and woodworking. Well, I mean, it couldn't be more obvious. Woodworking and carpentry, obviously for shelter building, for people, for animals, livestock, structures, we're going to have to we're going to have to have a lot more barns after a total collapse than yes. we do now. Yes. Well, and also woodworking would up to and include furniture as well. Yes. So not just the structure, but something to put in it to sleep on and sit on. As society recovers, making furniture would be a very very good skill to have. How about making wooden implements, spoons, wooden forks, wooden spatulas? Well, yes. I mean, there are there right now there are craftspeople all over the world that craft some of the most beautiful oiled up type of uh, dough bowls and salad bowls, and of course wooden spoons. They've been around since wood. <laughs> since, just just since after tree was wood, a just after wood was made, they started making wooden spoons. I looked at that tree and I said, you know what? I could get a nice spoon out of that tree. Eventually, these communities will get some type of electricity back online. Mm-hmm. So electrical skills and wiring skills would be a good thing to know. Exactly. And in fact, I was watching a program the other day about the early days of electrical power in America and that up until 
that being a widespread utility, a lot of folks were dependent on gas for their lighting, you know. And so that type of electricity coming through really changed the entire world in a way. And so they started really from scratch. And I guess in a rebuild society, you can start from scratch again and rebuild what would become the new electricity. Yeah, and plumbing would fit into that category as well. Eventually, we're going to get to a point where we begin to restore and there's going to need to be septic tanks dug and field lines put in Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff plumbed. And it might be that we have other types of water catchment systems that we're using gravity to feed it into the house. So we have running water coming in and we want running water going out. Well, even the Romans invented the aqueducts, Mm -hmm. and the aqueducts actually had a function. It would catch rainwater, and they would actually have water from other sources. And those aqueducts were constructed on a sloping grade, Mm -hmm. and they used gravity to create a system for which this water would now travel through those channels into and onto fields or rivers or lakes, wherever they wanted to channel that water into. And I could see a modern-day aqueducting system becoming part of the new plumbing structure. And one you mentioned a while ago, blacksmithing, that would be good for building tools. Mm-hmm. Well, also, to obviously, horseshoes and other types of, what are you talking about, the simple welding, metal tools, even cookware. A blacksmith could even pound out pots and pans if they needed to. And gun cleaning, gun cleaning and gun smithing. There are many people that own firearms that have no idea how to properly clean that. Yes, they're going to have to repair that. Find the guy in town. Or the girl. That has all of the (laughs) spare parts Mm -hmm. and can repair your gun. I'm beginning to see, too, what you're you're beginning to describe now as I'm looking at this list is I'm envisioning community after community after community. And what's going to happen is certain communities are going to have different levels and different types of skills. And the word is going to start traveling, you know, such and such community, community A, you know, a mile away. They've got two blacksmiths over there that can just anything you need made out of metal. Those are your guys. And then on community B, these folks have perfected a plumbing system. Mm -hmm. Community C over there, they're working on a firearm and some technology and something to do with distillation. So you're beginning to see that, you know, not everybody is going to be equipped to do all the same thing. And so we may be trading between yeah. communities. It, and this, let me tell you something. That is how fairs, F-A-I-R, that is how the fair actually came to be. Back in ancient times, we're talking in the, the, the 600s and 800s and 900s and the, the year 1000. Oh, I thought you were talking about the 1960s. No, no, no. I'm talking about pre-millennial, when, back when history wasn't even being written to say that. Different tribes and communities all over different areas that we now know as Asia, Russia, China, Europe, these, these tribal communities, like once a year, or once every five years, they would all meet. They would have word would go out among all these peaceful tribes. We're all going to meet. We're going to rendezvous at such and such location. And everyone's going to bring their items that they want to sell or their skills they want to demonstrate. And before you know it, these, they would bring their, their tapestries and their weavings and their carvings and their pottery. And then they would bring their entertainment. And before you know it, it became 
pretty much the modern day fairs like we think of it now as a bunch of right stuff. But and it was, it was in, in the 1800s with the mountain men, it was rendezvous. It, it was a once a right. year thing. This is where they would share news. And this is when they would, sometimes this would be the first time they've seen a human face in a year, but they were doing this to share skills because they knew they said, I might be able to hunt this, but I cannot make, you know, whatever. And so they would trade off. And that's how society began to cooperate. Another thing is going to be medical skills. Now, doctors and nurses are going to be in high demand. Oh, yes. The ability to deliver babies because people will keep having babies. Well, you know, your, your, your human body is going to go through some stress and it's going to be aging and you may have some disease issues and you may have injury mm-hmm. issues where there's going to be some bones that are going to have to be set. There may be some toes that have to be amputated, I'm sad to say. But, you know, medical practice goes on. And it will be very, very important to have medical training and medical practice. And that might be another community's forte. They yeah, may, all the doctors we, may be in we that We may one. have to go to the next community over. But exactly. those skills will be in demand. Here's one we often don't think about, and that's repairing and maintaining generators and converting those generators to alcohol. Well, absolutely, because you're not always going to have your hands on either gasoline or diesel, mm-hmm. whatever it's taking to run your generator. In fact, we have a family member right now that's just recovering from those massive snowfalls out in California. And this family member has a generator, but didn't prep enough diesel to power the generator and then they got stuck they got in a position where they could not get out and nobody could come in so they ran their generator very judiciously and parsed that diesel very very small until they eventually ran out but uh, and they're fine they they did it fine but they learned a hard lesson of having the generator was great but not having enough fuel hurt them. Right. And in a post-apocalyptic situation, we may have to convert those to alcohol mm-hmm, exactly. that we can buy from the old guys up in the holler and that have had the skill mm-hmm. for hundreds of years, generation to generation. Yep. Nobody's going to come and arrest them now. Nope. nope. <laughs> and in fact, we're going to go look to trade with them. Yeah. I think now, another thing is small engine repair. Oh, now, small okay. engines will not be affected by an EMP or CME. I see. And they may, again, need to be converted to alcohol. Okay. But some of those will need repairing at times. And you can take a small engine and you can build a lot of things. How about this? Maintaining cast iron cookware. I had mentioned the blacksmith before, and it's very likely that these metalworking and ironworking skilled tradespersons are going to be the ones that are going to make the cookware. Because think about it. You may have to be cooking on a, an open fire of some mm-hmm. kind or a grill with coals in some way. It's not going to be an on-off gas or an on-off electrical situation. So you're going to need cookware that can stand up to that kind of tough abuse, really, in a way. We're also going to get to a point where haircutting is going to be a good skill to have. That can be bartered and traded. I was laughing because back in COVID, several weeks after the whole flatten the curve, remember that went out the window, Mm -hmm. and people started posting these memes of these bushy-headed, you know, people with one eyebrow and their hair all over the place because they haven't been able to get to their salon or their barber or whatever. But yeah, I mean, hair's going to grow. 
And folks are going to have to realize that, you know, being able to even cut hair and to be halfway good at it is going to be a skill. And it's going to take non-electric shears to do that. Yeah, good old scissors and razors. But they did it in the 1800s. Well, yeah, we've got to start really honoring the past old ways Mm -hmm. because they might be coming back. Here's one we're all going to be using in a post-apocalyptic situation would be gardening. Yes, and depending on where you live, you may be able to garden all year long. Mm -hmm. Even here in the Deep South, we have farmers who have dedicated their fields during the wintertime to winter wheat, Mm -hmm. and they get a great harvest from that. So many of these farmers in this area, I think it's zone seven or eight, probably on the zone map, there can be some form of gardening that can take place all year because we rarely have any below zero temps. We rarely have any single-digit temps, and even if we do, generally there's not a prolonged period of time. We're not one of those tundra where it's 30 degrees below zero eight months of the year. Exactly, and as we're raising food, then we're going to need to be canning or dehydrating or some other way preserving that food. Mm, The old ways. And that might be a skill that you can barter with your neighbor. You preserve their food in exchange for food. Yeah, you might. That's what our grandparents did. They raised the corn, but they would take it to the mill to have it milled into flour. And as payment for that, the mill got some of that flour that they could then sell. Yeah, and I remember my grandmother who would, you know, they would can X number of cans of something and they couldn't use that many and they would actually trade with each other Mm -hmm, the the various things. You know, this person grew, had an abundance of tomatoes and the other one had an abundance of cucumbers. And so that can be a trading skill if we're canning. How about basket weaving? You know, a lot of people laugh when they see basket weaving, but think about it. That is a very useful skill and can you can create a woven basket item that can last for many, many years. And there's very easy upkeep on that. It might even be to the point of being somewhat artistic and it could be tradable and not only for function, but for artistic sake as well. It could be good for your creative outlet. And we go to these trade shows from time to time and we see, and I mean trade shows, I'm not talking about podcasting shows or the business trade shows. I'm talking about we go to these trade fairs and things. and Crafting fairs. Crafting fairs. That's a good word right there. And you'll see these folks that have made some beautiful, beautiful baskets, Mm -hmm. and they're functional. And they'll last literally. (laughs) Nobody really knows how long they'll last because they're made well and can provide a large number of uses and can think of it this way if you've got a particular skill for basket weaving and you can whip some together your skills and your craft may be in very high demand and the value of it is very high mm-hmm. so no no chucking no chuckling at that anymore for sure how about raising livestock you know we're talking about beef cattle dairy cattle chickens ducks pigs sheep one thing i have learned is You don't just buy them and turn them loose out in the field. Oh, heck no. There's There's a lot of things that have to be done to take care of those livestock, and so that would be a good skill. You know, you talking about livestock, too, made me think. Add to that medical skill, veterinary skill Mm -hmm. when it comes to livestock. You know, just because a human doctor knows medicine doesn't mean they know veterinarian medicine. So even a veterinarian or someone who's been a vet tech 
or someone who has raised livestock and has a lot of knowledge and experience can help guide somebody or a group or a community if they want to do a community-type recovery on livestock. Now, eventually our clothes are going to wear out, so sewing and knitting would be good skills to use. Absolutely. How about acquiring and selling fish and game? Oh, I can absolutely see that. I can see a meat market popping up Mm -hmm. somewhere where someone has daily catches of fish. You've seen from from the icy ice fishing of the the polar regions all the way down to the subtropical regions, you can catch a fish somewhere. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be a demand for a good catfish or some snapper or crappie or brim or, or trout or bass or whatever, you know, you got there. And once you've gotten those fish and game, we're going to need cooking, baking, and smoking meat skills. Mm-hmm. Oh, the smoke. I hadn't thought about that. Smoked meat to be able to preserve it. That would mm-hmm. be a very high-value barter and trade item right there. Exactly. And pottery and kill-drying clay vessels. You know, pottery is an old Ancient art. Yes, it is. And so is the use of the kiln. It's a matter of heating it up, of course, but to be able to make clay vessels for a variety of uses is extremely important. That would be a very high value skill. Well, that's your cups and your bowls, plates and 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 pitchers, vessels of all kinds, large vessels. You know, they call them salt cellars and and salt crocks. We, We can go back to how they used to keep food even cool all day long in a hot day in some of those clay vessels. Tack, harness, and leather craft. Very important. We're, we're going to be going back to making a lot more things out of leather than we will be plastic. Mm-hmm, exactly. Think about those who know how to have dairy skills where they can actually create a pasteurization heating type of a service. Someone who knows how to pasteurize dairy and be able to can it, you know, in like some aluminum or some sort of safe way to can it. I've, I'm not, I've never canned dairy, and I know that some of our listeners absolutely know how to do that, but it's the way that it was done, you know, mm-hmm. 200 years ago. And it'll be a good skill. Now, this one may come later. This won't be an initial demand, but musical instrument crafting. Well, Russ, if we're rebuilding society, We cannot avoid what makes us human, and that is our ability to create art and to enjoy and appreciate the things that are artistic, visual art, the art of music, the art of sculpture, the art of dance, the all of the different fine arts that have to do with what we can do to create and compose. And if you can build a guitar, if you can build and carve a flute, they might be primitive, they might be kind of rough hewn, but... They would certainly give us something to pass the time Mm -hmm. and to become creative and feel like we're human again. And she'll figure out how to make a piano, too. She's not going to do that one. (laughs) (laughs) I can do the woodwork part. You're going to have to do the playing and tuning part. Mm -hmm. Tinctures and herbal medications. These are things that are in demand today. There are some folks that are very skilled at being able to extract their own tinctures. And these are medicines and herbal medication-based ointments, gels, liquids. Uh, We know some people that they actually brew their own elderberry tea and brew their own elderberry tinctures, where it's Mm -hmm. a concentration, and they use this elderberry 
in their family for their immune system. That's just one use. So there's definitely an ancient skill to creating tinctures and herbal medicines. But think how valuable that would be if you can have that sort of thing for pain relief or burn relief, that sort of infection cure. Yeah. Very, very high demand. Eventually, we will run out of the pharmaceuticals that are on the market today, and there needs to be an alternative way to do that. How about reloading ammunition for firearms? That's going to be extremely important because that means reloads mean that you can build your own bullets again. You can craft your own cartridges and take that and and reload them with gunpowder. The thing that is really the hard part, and this might put us back to flintlocks at some point, and that's the primers. Yeah. You can create the powder. You can make black powder. There are recipes on the internet for that. You can mold the bullets. That's not a problem. That's relatively easy. But the primers will be the issue. But if we get into that situation, there's going to be people that have primers built up, and it's going to be a very, very good skill. And eventually someone will figure out how to get around those primer issue with those not being, because they're kind of critical to produce. Isn't that what humanity does? They get faced with a problem, and they rise to the challenge, and they overcome it another way. And that's just been the rise of humanity. Okay, sorry, I was off of my my, my podium there for a moment. Okay, here's one that, this is an ancient art as well, but think about it. Glass blowing. This actually just sort of came to me as an inspiration when I was thinking about skills and crafts, what people can do. And I was thinking glass blowing, because glass has been around And blown glass has been around hundreds of years, hundreds of years. But think if you have the ability to create glass and what all you could do and and market and barter if you have glass, if you can blow glass and provide that. You can definitely provide the bottles for the one making the The tinctures. The tinctures and the medications, yes. I'm beginning to see a partnership growing here. And in some parts of the world, dog sled team training. Well, absolutely, because even in the wintry, snowy places, they train during the year when it's not snowy, and these dogs will just run through the forest. And I'm thinking, you know, you could run a dog sled just about anywhere that's reasonably temperature. I mean, I wouldn't want to run a dog sled team through the middle of Ecuador in the summer. Mm-hmm. wouldn't want to do that. But a dog sled team may be the way that people can travel more quickly. And a team of dogs, particularly the ones that have been trained and they really want to do this, they love to do this kind of work and they're very good at it. And it certainly beats tromping through the woods on your own hush puppies. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. All right, here's one that will be in great demand, and that will be soap and candle making. You know, we've got a lot of folks that are doing that right Mm -hmm. now, and they supply some of the higher-end bath stores with their own homemade goat's milk soap and some of their vegan-based soap of many different scents. Vegan soap? Well, they don't use any dairy if they're 100% vegan. They use, like, plant-based Almond and soy. I I was thinking eating the soap. No, 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 no. (laughs) Vegan in the sense of no dairy is being Okay. But those that are making soap and candles, I mean, if we don't have electricity, we're going to need some candles. Exactly. So making some soap and some candles, that's not just for, you know, fruit-free birthday parties anymore. That's going to be lighting up at the night and keeping our bodies clean. So those are important. 
And here's something that seems to be a dying art right now, and that's beekeeping. Yeah, beekeeping, you know, honeybees, very important, great for having honey because of its antibacterial Mm -hmm. and long-lasting and non-spoilage properties, but also for the gardening aspect, for the pollinating aspect, the marketing of the honey, the marketing of the beeswax. There's a lot of things you can do with beeswax. Mm -hmm. So being able to have beekeeping and supply honey that might be your sweetener because you're not going to have cane sugar, you know, for a while. That's more of a subtropical type plant. So in lieu of having cane sugar, you're probably going to have to turn to honey for your natural sweetener. And it doesn't spoil. Right. Absolutely. And the last one on our list here, in case we're not able to raise enough food, we're going to need to do some plant foraging and the knowledge of what can be eaten and not is going to be a handy skill to have in a post-apocalyptic situation. Couldn't emphasize that more because there's some plants out there. You could go right out into the forest right now and you could pull them and eat them and you'd be fine. And there's some other plants that if you don't know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you could die or wish that you could die. Probably all I would be eating was dandelions because I know you can eat every part of of a dandelion. Yeah, dandelion is a safe bet. So long as you know that it hasn't been touched with any insecticide properties, then you are good to go on a dandelion right down to the stem and the leaves. And the roots. Mm -hmm. You can make dandelion tea out of the roots. So this is by no means a complete list of skills, Mm -mm. but it's certainly a list of skills that would be very, very important and extremely valuable to a society that's trying to rebuild itself. It's nice to have a great education, and I'm, and I'm an educated person with a college degree, and I'm all about that. But we're starting to see more and more attention needs to be paid to the skills and the vocations of people that know how to do things. And think about what you would be able to do if you had no electricity and no plumbing and none of the creature comforts that you have right now. What can you contribute to your society if you had to help rebuild it? And that's what we're really saying here is now is the time to be thinking through what skill do you have or what skill can you acquire to be able to, quote unquote, make a living in a recovering society? It does give you something to think about. And again, we're not trying to make you feel like you need to be panicking and fearful. But we do think that we have to be mature and grown up and really understand that we can't just sit around and believe that things like this would never, ever happen. Because just about the time you've convinced yourself that this could never happen, guess what? It could happen. You know why? Stuff can happen. I want to stay prepared. And we'll see you next time. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Practical Prepping Podcast. Would you consider supporting this podcast by buying us a cup of coffee? Go to the website, practicalprepping.info, and click on the link to buy me a coffee. You can contact us by email at info at practicalprepping.info. You can also contact us through Facebook and through our website. And until next time, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.